This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning about, and we're talking about the spirit dimension and how the spirit dimension is a practical reality and should be accessible to us and how we access that and how we live by it. And there are principles that kind of govern that. And they things that God has built into us when he made us because we were designed to live from that dimension. And so we're starting to have a look and explore some of those things. Um, I want to start speaking today, and I'll do it this week and next week because I couldn't get it all into this week, um, about worship. And so I've, spo- I've titled it Change Through Worship. But now what I want to ask you to do is this. All your preconceived ideas about worship, put them all together, put them all together, put them in a little box, close it up, tie it tight, now just take it and put it on the shelf. Okay. We're just going to go on a journey and I'm going to do it intentionally because I think so many of us have got so many preconceived ideas about what worship is and what it looks like and how I live a life of worship that maybe there's some things that we could discover. And so we're going to take the scenic route today. You know, if you ever go from Virginia down to Florida, you hit 95. And the thing about 95 is, there there are two things about 95. It's long and it's boring. It's long because it's a long road, but actually it's short as opposed to taking the scenic route. You'll get there quickly, but it's so dull. All you do is see trees on either side of the road, but you get there fast. But if you take the scenic route, what ends up happening is you discover all kinds of beautiful areas, lovely pastures, beautiful streams falling through the place. You get to see the mountains and you get to see the ocean. And, you get, and so by the time you get to Florida, you've got so much more to talk about because you actually have added some color to your journey as opposed to speed. So we're going to take the scenic route for the next week or two because I want to add some color to this and so that we get an understanding of it perhaps from a slightly different perspective. I'm a big fan of purpose because I don't think God ever does something accidentally. So if God created something, it must be there for a reason. Why? What is it there for? And sometimes I can put myself in a dangerous place because I just assume things. And when I assume things, I get into all kinds of trouble. So we're going to take the scenic route and we're going to go in via the back door. So we're not going in the front door. So I'm not starting off just talking about with what you expect. So you've got to stick with me on the journey because I can promise you we're coming out somewhere. And when we get there, it'll kind of all make sense to you. Okay, just that's a long introduction to everything. So let me start off. I want to read a couple of verses. I'm going to read all, um, firstly, Philippians 3, verse 3, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion. For we have already experienced the heart circumcision. Are you born again? There you go. So he's talking to you. And we worship God in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is an important part of this. The spirit dimension is really integral to what we're talking about. Not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done. He's writing a letter. And not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. 
And then I want to read 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. For the Lord is the, for the, Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him. He makes us more and more like him. He makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So there's a whole bunch of stuff packed in all of that stuff. And so it's probably easiest if we just start our journey and we head off in a direction. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he comes at night because he doesn't want anybody to see him. And he comes to Jesus and he has this discussion with Jesus. And what he says to Jesus is, there's something about you that's different. There's something that is peculiar to who you are. And the thing about it is, I want to know what that is. It's an interesting situation because there are so many analogies. There is so much happening in this encounter right at the moment that on many levels, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. Understand who Nicodemus is. He is a religious man. Nicodemus has studied the word of God. Nicodemus knows the word of God really, really well. Nicodemus is esteemed and he is venerated because of his knowledge of the word. He's a religious leader. He not only gets into the word and studies the word, but he teaches the word. If you want to know about the word, go to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of those people who's going to do that to you. He is a person who's completely immersed and knowledgeable in the word. And as the person, he is a personification of someone who is knowledgeable of the word. But knowledge of the word comes and encounters what is born of the spirit. The knowledge of the word encounters what is born of the spirit. The knowledge of the word has a look at what is born of the spirit and says, there's something about you that's different. I can't get where you are. There's something that's marked your life that's different. I know that we both talk about the fact that we serve the same God. But the fact of the matter is your life is marked by something that's different to me. There's something happening in this, in this interaction. There's something happening which is far greater than just the interaction itself. It's talking about the passing of time. It's talking about what's happening from one movement of God into the next movement of God. And in this very moment, what, what God is showing us, I believe, is there's something happening as a dispensation changes. And everything that you try to get through God, through what you knew, is going to sit there in wonder and in awe when it has a look at what God's going to do in his new dimension, the dimension of the spirit. Everything that I knew about God, everything that I understood about God, all of a sudden is made visible and is apparent to me. It's something that I can walk into where I couldn't do it before. There is something about the spirit dimension because it takes the things of God and doesn't just make you knowledgeable about them, but it takes the things of God and it births them in you. And because his life is inside of you and you live from that life, what ends up happening is my life becomes marked by the spirit. I'm a letter being written by him.
My life is marked by the Spirit because where I go, people should sit and say, there's something different about you. You're not like everybody else. You're not like the religious people I know. You're not like the church people I know. You're not like everybody else. What is it about you that's so different? In John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus is talking and he, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. On so many levels, that's an interesting statement that he makes. Because he's not talking about who he is. He's not talking about this is Jesus. What he's saying is what has defined my being, what has become a part of who I am, what basically has been birthed on the inside of me is of the Father. And as a result of that, the way that I live, who I am, the way that you experience me is not no longer about me and my considerations and what I think life should be and people should be and who I am. All of a sudden it's been immersed. It's been baptized by the Spirit of the Father, and it's come out to something new, and it's come out to something different, and I can stand there and sit and say, I'm living off a, dis- a, a, a place, I'm living from a nature that is not my nature anymore, it's His. What is it that you love about God? What is it that makes Jesus so fabulous? Why is Christ so wonderful? Because He can change everything. Because he can do things in our life that is incredible. Because he loves you so very much that he would he was prepared to come and say, you know what, I'll sacrifice my life so that you can experience me. I'll give everything so that in that relationship you can get to know me and I'm going to take who I am and reveal it to you. I'm not interested in being God who's far off. I'm not interested in you knowing something about a God who's distant and out there. I'm not interested about being the God who's in the heaven. I'm interested about being the God who resides in your heart. I want to live in the most intimate place of who you are. And in that space, I want for you to recognize how wonderful I am. I want you to recognize how good I am. I want you to recognize the authority that I come with. I want you to recognize the fullness of that and I want you to allow that to begin to influence who you are so that when you go out and you go into places, all of a sudden, you don't see me, but you're introduced to the Father. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by... There is something that is so fundamental to the spirit dimension Take your hands off. We can't do that. We have control things as people. I have to do something. I have to earn it. I have to pay penance for it. There has to be something I have to do in this mix. Surely it's not that simple. Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit. There are things that God is going to take from who he is. And he's going to introduce them 
to who you are. And when you live from the substance of him inside of you, you will be marked. You will be different. If you live and you let him come into that space and be who he wants to be in your life, Nicodemus is coming to pay a visit. Get ready. Jesus says, it's not me that does the stuff that happens in my life. It's the Father in me that does them. So we're getting another dimension of what this whole spirit thing is all about. What Jesus is saying is, it doesn't only affect who I am and how I live in terms of being a character change, but it's affecting me because there's an empowerment that comes with it. It's nothing that I can do, but there is something about the Father when he comes into the space where he's not only prepared and satisfied to make me brand new, but in making me brand new, the expectation is that as I go out in life and as I engage with life, that newness comes out and also begins to affect and change the world in which I find myself. And I recognize that I have influence in spaces, not because of me, but because of him. Because the greater one is inside of me. And in that space, we always, we get taken back to the very beginning, the book of beginnings in Genesis. Because essentially what Jesus was saying was this, when I am born in his image, I will reflect his likeness. When I'm born in his image, I will reflect his likeness. Birth and seeding is always spiritual because it has to do with nature and you cannot get the nature of something unless it's born inside of you. So it always has to do with that. But when you deal with things of the flesh, very often we don't want, we, we, we are obsessed with fruit. We want to deal with fruit. It becomes really interesting because the focus of our lives, unless we get in tandem with God, and unless we get to a place where we understand what the Holy Spirit's doing, we, we often miss what's happening in our life. The challenge with people who live from a religious framework is that religious people are fruit-oriented. My life needs to look good. My life needs to reflect the fact that I'm a Christian. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with that unless your focus is purely fruit without being aware of the fact that fruit is the result of what's in the root. You see, the challenge with it is Jesus is interested in the fruit of your life. Make no mistake. But he understands that the fruit of your life is very much a function of the root of your life. Part of the reason that so many Christians who are knowledgeable about the things of God but have never discovered the, the truth and the life of the Spirit are so dissatisfied is because it's, it creates friction in their life. It, cre it creates internal turmoil. Because what ends up happening is I realize who I am. I recognize the appetites on the inside of me. I recognize the way that I want to live. There are things that have, that have over the history and, and over my life have been accrued and amassed. And all of those things are like barnacles sitting on the inside of them. And all of them have a seed that's been put inside of them. All of them are growing and all of them have life and all of them are producing fruit. 
Somewhere in my background, everything has been seeded to some degree. I've spent my time in places where I've allowed people of influence to say things about me and I've thought about those things and I've let them take root in my heart and they're growing feverishly. There are places where I've learned what it is to become a person who's esteemed or recognized or valued. And so what ends up happening is I do certain things to make sure that I, I can manage that because in that space I feel completely comfortable. And so what ends up happening is I'm moving in this direction because those seeds are in there. Those seeds are growing. Those seeds are giving definition to the way that I live and what I do. And in that space, I'm comfortable with that because it's what I know. I may not always be happy with it, but I'm comfortable with it because it's what I know. And all of a sudden, what comes into the mix is somebody tells me that, you know what? Jesus loves you. Hallelujah. What a wonderful story. But don't just do half a job. Because if I just tell you that Jesus loves you, and I don't tell you how to meet with him and allow him to influence your life, what ends up happening is I take on a responsibility to be a good Christian. And when I take on a responsibility to be a good Christian, I end up with a schism inside of myself. I end up as a house divided because I've never dealt with what's growing on the inside of me. It's still alive. It's still producing fruit, but I'm trying really hard to wrap it all up and keep it under wraps because the thing is, I shouldn't be acting that way and I shouldn't be behaving that way and I shouldn't be speaking like that and I shouldn't be having those thoughts and I shouldn't have those appetites alive on the inside of me and I'm trying really hard to manage it so everybody thinks I'm a good Christian but inside there's a fight going on because I haven't realized the fullness of what Christ is available to me you've told me and painted the picture for me but it's not a life inside of me so I'm trying to manage this garden of wheat John 10 10 Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And for a long time, I used to think that what God was, what the verse meant was that I'm trying to give, I'm coming to give you life and life. I'm trying to, I'm coming to give you a life that you experience that is full and robust. And I think that ultimately is where it leads, life of a superior nature. But that, that's, that's not the gist here. I think the gist of it is this. What he's trying to say to us is this. Before you get to life of a superior nature, you have to partake of my life. I've come to give you my life in abundance, in all of its forms, in all of its facets, in all of its fullness, in all of its authority, in all of its influence, in all of its love, in all of its goodness, in all of its wholesomeness, in all of everything that it contains, all of its full expressions, so that when you allow that to be birthed on the inside of you, when you allow that life to come on the inside of you, all of a sudden, what ends up happening is I'm living from a reality that is inside of me that is true, that is robust, that is vital in and of itself. I'm living from something which is of Christ that's growing on the inside of me. And the fruit of what he's provided on the inside of me comes out of me naturally. I'm not trying to hold some stuff in. I'm not trying to prune some stuff off. I'm not trying to manage things. I'm just letting the life that's inside of me grow. 
My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's saying is, get my life. Let my life be on the inside of you. Let that life grow and it'll take on a nature. It, it'll present itself through the fruit of your life. So now that we've kind of taken that journey, we've hit on the big question. I'm glad that you want me to experience the fullness of who you are. And I, I begin to understand what it is that you're offering me. The question is, how do I get it? How do I get it? I'm glad you asked that question. And you asked it at the right time. Changed through worship. Changed through worship. Worship is a tool, and the reason that worship is here is because worship never leaves you the way you are. Well, I know that sounds good, and in theory, that's true. But remember, we're taking the scenic route now. So that's not the express version. That's the express version. That's the 95 version. That's not the scenic route. This is the scenic route. Romans. Um, what is it? Romans 3? Romans, what am I? 2 or 3 something. Romans 12. Ha! Ah. Not even close. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What does it say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can Prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is giving us a definition and laying out a roadmap for worship. We live in two kingdoms. There's the, king, the natural kingdom and there's the spiritual kingdom. In the natural kingdom, the thing about it is this. There was a period of time in all of our lives when we weren't born again. And so we never had access to God from a spiritual point of view. So we were limited to the natural. So what ends up happening in that space is I go through life and as I journey through life, everything that affects me from the natural realm affects my body. It affects my senses. I hear some stuff. I see some stuff, I feel some stuff, I experience some stuff. It's all coming here. It's all coming here. And the result of everything that I'm accumulating over here from the natural realm, everything that somebody says to me, every experience that I have and every outtake that I got as a result of going through that experience, everything that I've encountered, everything that I've read, everything that I've thought about myself, it's all coming here from the body, from the natural realm. And it's being fed in and it's going in. And what ends up happening is it's taking root inside of me. But because its origin is natural, it comes through the body. So when God is speaking about uh, flesh, what he's talking about is a mind that is defined by body, my senses, where I've been, my experience, 
what life has been like. That's what he's talking about. That's the flesh. Okay? So what he's saying is, I want to make you brand new. And I want to make you like I am. The thing about it is, you committed the first sin that Adam did. What did Adam do? I don't want God to define me anymore. I will be like God, and I will define myself. I will do this. I feel that. I think this. I experience that. I, I, I. And so what did I do? Adam made a choice in that space to sit and say, you know what? Rather than allowing spirit and God to give definition to who I am, I'm going to go with how I feel and what I think and the way that I believe things should be. So I started defining who I am. And the reason that it was sin was because it separated me from God. All of a sudden, God wasn't in that space that was reserved for him. He, he, he was pulled out of the Holy of Holies. He wasn't in the temple anymore. All of a sudden, I stepped into the temple because I'm going to define who I am. And God said, hold on, your way is different to mine. You, what is sin? Separation from God. I'm going to do it. The reason that everything that comes through the body is so dangerous is because that's where sin gains access to who you are. And anytime you define your life from any part of your history, your thinking, my experience, my feelings, my anything, what you've done is you've just taken that row and whatever you've come to as a conclusion in that space, you've given definition to that in your heart. Seeded it. It's growing. It's alive in there. It's called flesh. It's your body. It's your body that's alive, that's giving definition to who you are. So Paul says, we're going to live a life of worship. And because we want to have a life of worship, it means that I don't want to be conformed to the world anymore. I don't want to live from this body giving definition to who I am. I don't want to live from the space that everybody else lives from. I recognize the fact that I can be made new. And so I can be transformed by changing my Mind. So by the way that I do that is by moving into a space where I allow him to do that. But how is he going to do it? The problem with it is something's already sitting on the throne of every area of your life. And so the thing is, the way that he wants to do that is this. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living He's not talking about dying every day. He's saying everything that you've defined yourself by, everything that's come into your heart that came out of that space, I promise you it's not true. And even if you're thinking it, even if it may have a very morsel of truth in it, it's nowhere near to what my definition might be. So what he's saying is when he's talking about crucifying the flesh, what he's saying is anytime you lean to this is the way I think it should be, this is the way I feel it should be, this is my understanding, of things. What's happening? You're going your own way. Crucify it. Crucify it. I'm introduced to the idea of worship. Ah, I didn't think worship was that. But it is. But it is. You see, he loves us so very much that he wants us to be like him. And so he's designed us to be worshipers because we worship what we value. And we become like what we worship. We sometimes think that when we come into church and we sing songs and we listen to nice music, that that's worshiping. 
That is a celebration of a lifestyle of worship. If your lifestyle isn't defined by worship, it's very hard to move into that space and have genuine heart worship. Worship in this space is a celebration. It is a praise. It is a thanksgiving to him for what he has done in my life. And when I live a lifestyle of realizing who he is and how he wants to influence me, when I live a lifestyle of sacrifice so that he can come in and put his life on the inside of me, I recognize who I used to be and I know who I am today. And it's very easy for me in that space to celebrate who he is. But that's a celebration of worship. It's not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. What do you value? What do you value? What's in, when we talk about value, value really comes down to what is of importance and significance to you. That's what you value. Values are really important because what you value gives definition and guidance to the choices you make. Sometimes we think of value in the context of things, material things. But when you get into the spiritual arena and you start having a look at what constitutes value, it gets down to other things. It gets down to things like what I feel. There are lots of people in this day and age. We live in a day and age where we celebrate feelings. It's wrong to ever say somebody's feelings may not be right because you're dishonoring that person. And part of inclusivity means that everybody's right and everybody needs to be included. The problem with it is we celebrate everybody's self-definition. In God's economy, it's all about him defining who I am. So the problem with it is when I value how I feel over what he invites me into, that's my priority. That's what I value. Anytime I make a choice, When he invites me into something new and I sit and say, the way I think about this, the way I feel about this, what my history has taught me, what my experiences brought me to is more consequential and more important than what you're inviting me into. You're expressing where your value lies. So values become really important. But now, what is the difference between a value and something that's of worth? A value is something that is important and that's significant. The worth of that is the cost of that. It's the price you prepare to pay for that. To what degree do you value it? So if worth has to do with cost and the price of something, the degree to which you hold it, and the price you prepare to pay for it, we begin to understand then etymologically what the root of worship is. Worship is living in a place where you're prepared to pay the price for something that you value. Values will give you a roadmap to your future. Worship will get you there. Values will show you where you're going. It'll give you, it'll pinpoint for you. It'll give you a roadmap to how to get there. But worship is how you get there. 
So let me give you a natural example. My boys love football. They can play baseball, they can play basketball, they can play a whole bunch of different sports. But in the grand scheme of all of the sports that are available to them, the value lies with football. They want football. It's the value. That's what's most significant and important to them. But because football is most important to me, the thing is, I look at that and I want to be a good footballer. So I live in a state of worship to what I value. And I prepared to sacrifice so that I can realize that value. So I wake up and it's on vacation. And it's like, but you do understand the training starting next week. And it's like, well, sorry, we have to cut our vacation short because all of a sudden training for football season starting and I've got to be there on the first day. So I'm paying the price. I'm paying the price. What I'm saying is because I worship that so much, I'm allowing it to take precedent in my life. I love my vacation. I'm really enjoying it. But I'm telling you, I'm prepared to sacrifice it because I'm going in this direction. I love my food. I love the junk food. I love chocolates and I love candy and I love vanilla ice cream and I like all the nice stuff that goes with that. But because you know what? I want to be a footballer. I recognize the fact that it comes at a sacrifice and I'm prepared to say no to junk food because I want to become a good footballer. It's I'm paying the price. I'm paying the price because I want to get there. It's not only saying goodbye to all the good stuff, but stuff I've never liked in my life. Salad. <laughs> Who eats salad? I start eating salads and healthy salads and, and fresh vegetables. Why? Because I'm sacrificing. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter how it's discomforting to me. The fact of the matter is I've got a vision. I'm going somewhere. I'm paying the price because that's where I want to go. That's what I want to be. So my body doesn't always feel like waking up at six o'clock when it's my vacation. But it's okay because I'm going to get to sports and workouts really early. I need to be there by seven because I'm going to work out for eight, eight hours a day when it's 90 some odd degrees. But it's okay because you know what? I'm paying the price. I'm in worship of where I'm going. But I can tell you I'm, that's I'm going to get to the goal. Values will give you a roadmap to where you're going. Worship will get you there. Yeah. Amen. Come on. Hmm. Give me a minute. Let me just see where I want to go with this. Um. God designed us as worshipers because you become like what you worship. God designed us as human beings as worshipers because you become like what you worship. This is the this is the this is the gist of stuff. You're not stuck. You're not stuck. 
Anytime you find yourself at a place where it's like, you know what? My life feels like it's at a rut. Anytime you find yourself at a place where you feel like your Christianity is sitting in suspension. Anytime you find your place in yourself where you're dealing with some stuff that you feel like you've been dealing with for a long time. You know what the invitation is? Change the altar at which you're worshiping. If you change what you're worshiping, you're going to start becoming like something else. You're going to become like something else. The fundamentals of all of Christianity are wrapped up in this. The blood is the foundation stone and the spirit is the cornerstone. The blood of Jesus is so powerful because you know what? Those barnacles that are sitting there, they're not going to go anywhere. The fact of the matter is I have to have something that pays the price for that, that gets rid of that stuff. That's why the blood is important because the fact of the matter is sin. Oh, now I'm going to read it for you. I want to read it. I'm going to read it out of the um, New Living Translations, Romans 6 verse 14. Sin is no longer your master. Glory be. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You know what it's saying? Sin is no longer your master. This is the gist of it. I used to live in a a place where I never had relationship with him. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know how much he loved me. I didn't know the degree to which he wanted to influence my life. And because of all of that stuff, I was stuck with how I thought things should be, how I should define my life, how I should live. And the problem with it is the wages of sin is death. How many of you know when you start defining your own life, it doesn't always work out all that great. I never had an option until he arrived. And when he walked in, he said, I've taken care of the problem. All of a sudden, sin is not your master anymore. I don't have to live by where I've been, by what's defined me, because I have the blood of Jesus, which sits and says, you know what? You've paid the price for it. I can get rid of some of this stuff. And not only does that bl- is the blood the foundation stone, which means I can get rid of some stuff, what it does is the spirit is the cornerstone, which means once we've got rid of the junk, now we can start seeding with some good stuff. So he doesn't only get rid of the old, but he introduces the new. He brings in something that says, now let's have a look at this. And perhaps your value could shift from where it was to what I'm offering you. Because when you recognize what I'm offering you and you live a life of worship, we become like what we worship. Anytime you begin to spend time looking at him and his invitation to you, what's happening? I see what I value and I'm living a life in sacrifice so that I can pursue what it is that he's offering me. The challenge with it is we think very often in the context of Christianity that when we talk about sacrifice, it's me paying the price to earn something. That's not what he's asking for. What he's saying is, I don't need for you to earn it. The fact of the matter is, if you keep your eyes on grace, it's fully provided for you. The thing with it is, I've got something sitting on the throne. The thing is, are you prepared to sacrifice it so you can get it out and make room for me to come in? That's what sacrifice is about. Sacrifice is about me making a choice about what's of value to me. Because not everybody wants to let go of stuff that's sitting on their throne. Trust me, (laughs) you'll be amazed at how many times I have conversations with people. And the funny thing is, I'll even tell them what the Bible says. And you know what? I don't care. 
You, and should I tell you, it doesn't, they never say, I don't care, but you know what they say. They, they, no, this is, they, they, that's the sentiment, but nobody ever wants to say they disagree with the Bible. So when you tell them what the Bible says, the first thing they say is, but <laughs> I think, oh dear. And you thought, Lord, they've just slipped into self-definition. Wow, but I think, and God's like, okay, so you're esteeming your thought more important and having a, more value than what I'm inviting you into. That's what you're saying. We think people always want to change. They don't. It's amazing to me in the day and age in which we live, how so many people want to hold on to their baggage and they want to actually define the Bible around where they are. The opportunity he invites us into is a loving, intimate relationship with who he is and what he's all about. We are always, because we were built that way, going to worship. You can't help it because that's fundamentally how you were built in his image. You were built to take on his image so that you could live from his likeness. The mechanism that he's created for you to do that is a tool called worship. Recognizing value and paying the price in pursuit of that. Flushing out the other stuff so that he can move in. When we come in on Sundays and we have praise and we have, and, and we have thanksgiving, it comes with a sacrifice because you may not feel like it in the morning. You may not be like, but you know what? When you start to think about who he is and what he's all about, when you think about what he's done in your life, it quickly comes. And there's a sacrifice that goes with that. When you talk about worship, you're the living sacrifice. Fundamentals of worship with God is the fact that not my will, but thine be done. Worship with God is all about sitting, living in a space where I am open to and intentional about seeking out his value. What are you saying in this space? He lives inside of you. His presence is on the inside of you. And what he's looking for is he's looking for us to move to a space where we relate to it in an intimate way on an ongoing basis. Prayer without ceasing. He and I chatting through life. Be sensitive to his promptings. Be sensitive to things that he puts on the inside of you. Because when we respond to it, what we're doing is we're recognizing value. We're responding to value. We sometimes don't realize how empowered we are to redirect our lives. You need him to do it, but you choose whether you want to stick with where you are right now or not. It's a choice we make. What he's saying is, I've given you the tool to make the decision. I'm giving you the opportunity to be able to come to a place when everything that you're doing, when you recognize me as value and you allow me to come into that place and you sacrifice anything that might get in the way, anything that you believe needs to be there so that I can come in, your life will begin to shift and change. 
It becomes so important for us because God is not only wanting us to be aware of who he is. He's not wanting us to live like a Nicodemus. They never had options in the Old Testament because they never had the Spirit. The big advantage to the Spirit is he comes to live inside of you. He comes to take of who he is and impart it to you so that you are a person who lives from the life that's on the inside of you. As we go through life, realize this. We're in the process of being pruned. I think it's John 15. speaks about the fact that the branches are pruned. And those branches that don't bear fruit cut off and cast into the fire. It's not talking about you. What he is talking about you. What he's talking about is this. Anything that you've defined yourself as, God looks at it and says, that's not going to be fruit bearing. So I'll tell you what, should we sacrifice it? Let's cut it off. Because if I cut it off, I can let something of who I am, something connected to the vine, grow in its place. And it'll bear much fruit. There are some areas in our life where we're bearing a bit of fruit, but you know what? There's some residue around the place. There's some stuff that's sitting around the place that you know is, is, is hampering things a little bit. So what he does is he takes those and he prunes off the little bits and pieces. Why? So it bears more fruit. That whole parable is all about the work of the Spirit as opposed to the work of the flesh. And how God's inviting us to come to a place where he's sitting saying, if you'll just trust me, if you'll work with me, if you know how to partner with me through worship, you'll be amazed at how your life will flourish. Next week I want to talk about those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. Can we please stand? I want to extend an invitation and then I'm going to pray for you. And the invitation is this. One of the most important things to learn are some spiritual tools about how to navigate my journey with God. If you find yourself in a place where you're dealing with hurts, pains, resentments, barnacles sitting in your life that have been there for a period of time, I want to encourage you to go and have a sozo. And the reason I want to encourage you is this, two things. Number one, it'll get rid of the barnacles. But secondly, I want you to learn the tools in that place because what they're going to teach you is how you connect with the Spirit of God inside you and how in that place you allow Him to give definition and how He takes things and reveals them to you and you're going to discover some stuff that you may not have seen before. But it's going to show you how the blood of Jesus comes in and washes it away and how the Spirit comes in and gives you something new.
Sometimes we don't know how to do that stuff. And it sounds really nice coming off the platform, but I don't have the practical tools to do it. If you, if you have ever had something like that or you're struggling with it, go and do it, if for no other reason but to learn the tools. If you're perfect and you've got nothing wrong, but you're sitting saying, I'm struggling to hear his voice. I'm struggling to connect with him. I, I don't really understand how to do this. Go and si sign up for a sozo because I want to learn the tools. There is a way to do things like that. And yours is going to be different to everybody else. But in that space, when you let the Holy Spirit take control and give direction, he'll bring about revelation. So it'll be different for you, but it'll be really helpful. Could you just close your eyes and just put your hands out? Holy Spirit, I just pray blessing over every person here today. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to bubble up inside every person. Come gushing out of them. I want to thank you, Father, for what you're doing in every person's life here today. You love each person so much. And you created them just the way they are. I thank you that as they separate and put time aside to get together with you, that you introduce them to the fullness of who you've created them to be that they realize the fullness of who they are is only discovered in the life that you offer. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to interrogate places of our heart and those areas that are valuing things outside of you I pray that you bring it to our attention. I thank you for worship. I thank you for the opportunity to recognize how wonderful and how valuable you are and to put ourselves at a position where we look for you to come in and give redefinition to our lives. I thank you for blessing. I thank you for protection over every person. I want to thank you that this week is filled with possibilities and potential. I thank you for letters written of you. Help us take the Father to the world. In Jesus' name.